0: You're listening to Kalam Institute's podcast series, Sira, Life of the Prophet, by Sheikh Abdul Nasir Jangda. Visit us on the web at kalaminstitute.org, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Bismillahi Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa wassalamu ala <laughs> rasulillah, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi Assalamu alaikum wa wabarakatuhu. So, inshallah, continuing with our series on the life of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi as nabawiyah The <clears throat> previous week we were talking about the Prophet sallallahu experience uh, when he traveled to the city of Taif. We talked about how. <clears throat> during the year of grief and sorrow, when the Prophet of Allah was struck with the two of the greatest personal tragedies of his entire life, which occurred literally weeks apart from one another, the passing of his beloved wife Khadija radiallahu anha, and the death of his beloved uncle Abu Talib. And both of these tragedies took place back to back. And the Prophet of Allah was, you know, dealing with a lot. It was extremely difficult for him to deal with all of this. After all of this occurred and happened, one of the consequences of the passing of Abu Talib that we talked about in the previous session was that the, just the general people in Mecca um, the general population in Mecca, and especially those folks who were not of great character, more of the troublemakers uh, in the community, they had absolutely no reservations or apprehension remaining about open harassment of the Prophet ﷺ. The only thing that had kept, kept them at bay for 10 years was Abu Talib. And the fact that Abu Talib was a leader, a very well respected leader in Mecca, and Abu Talib personally had backed the Prophet and warned everyone that nobody was to mess with the Prophet very, very, uh, just very frankly. And so with the passing of Abu Talib, it was a free-for-all, it was open season as far as they were concerned. So there are actual narrations about the Prophet being openly, publicly harassed and being even confronted and folks getting verbally and even physically abusive with the Prophet and having no apprehension about doing so. When the Prophet ﷺ started to see some of these circumstances, he realized that the situation in Mecca now had become far too hostile to be able to make any type of grounds in Mecca itself. So the Prophet ﷺ took the very serious and strategic step of looking outside of Mecca to other locations to see where the message could be delivered to. One of the primary targets that the Prophet ﷺ had in sight was the city of Ta'if. I talked about in the previous section why the city of Ta'if. It was a major city, home to a major tribe of Thaqif, Banu Thaqif. And so the Prophet ﷺ undertook this journey 60-70 miles away by foot. Him and Zayd ibn Haritha, just the two of them, and they went all the way to Ta'if. This journey lasted about 10 days. But we talked about how the Prophet went about delivering the message. He was very respectful. He did not cause any type of you know, um, disruption uh, in the city of Mecca, he approached the leaders of the tribe and the leaders of the city and tried to dialogue with them and present the message to them and make it very clear to them what his intentions were. Unfortunately, the leaders of that city did not display any type of hospitality. They had no decorum. They didn't even display any qualities of leadership. Rather, they refused the Prophet Wasallam. they dismissed him, were quite disrespectful with him and told him to get out of town. When the Prophet Wasallam said, okay, fine, if that's what you want, I will leave. He asked them very respectfully that I did not go out there and cause some type of public riot in your city. So therefore, I request the same courtesy be extended to me. That I will leave Mecca and I will leave Mecca quietly and I will not disrupt or bother anyone. But unfortunately, that was something that they were not willing to comply with. That was asking too much of them. So they set all the street thugs in the street, you know, just, just the, the thugs on the street, uh, young people, they, they basically set them all after the Prophet ﷺ. And they even, you know, offered some type of an incentive to do so and said, make it very difficult for him to leave. And we talked in detail about what the circumstances were. One of the things that I didn't mention last time that I was reading, kind of reviewing some of the narrations in regards to it, it talks about that when the Prophet ﷺ was walking, and he was leaving Ta'if, and they were stoning him, and the narrations talk about them yelling at him, jeering him, cursing at him, swearing at him, mocking him, threatening him, and throwing stones and rocks at him. One the narration mentions, and this is narrated by someone who would later on accept Islam. He says, I saw the Prophet of Allah wasallam on that day, and he was walking, and they were throwing rocks and stones at him. And I saw him continue to walk along, not respond to them. They were yelling at him, screaming at him, throwing rocks at him. He did not respond to anyone. He just kept walking along, but he kept asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for strength. He kept asking Allah for health, and he says in the narration that I heard him reading. فَسَمِعَتُهُ يَقْرَأُ I heard him reading on that day was سَمَاءِ وَالْطَّارِقِ حَتَّى خَتَمَهَا He recited the entire surah to tariq was سَمَاءِ وَالْطَّارِقِ وَمَا أَدْرَاكُمَا الطَّارِقِ الْنَّاجِمُ الْثَاقِبِ He kept reciting the surah in its entirety, and the Sahabi this this person says فَوَعَيْتُهَا فِي الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ وَأَنَا مُشْرِكٌ then I read Islam. So this Sahabi radiAllahu anhu says, "I memorized the Prophet sallallahu kept reciting the surah on that day for three miles while they were throwing rocks at him." And he says, "I ended up memorizing the surah in jahiliya even before I was Muslim, just by listening to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi recited on that day. I memorized it, and I used to then read it later on. Once I had accepted Islam, I used to read the surah in my salah." And then he says, فَدَعَدْنِي So Thaqif, they, they saw me very close listening and repeating something after him. So some of the people called me, فَقَالُوا مَاذَا سَمِعْتَ مِنْ هَذَا الرَّجُلُ What did you hear this man reciting? فَقَرَأْتُهَا عليهم. So I recited Surah tariq to them. And he says that some of them were very affected by what they heard me recite. Of course, it's the Qur'an, the Book of Allah, Surah tariq Very powerful. So he says, فَقَالَ man ma'ahum min Quraish, there were a couple of people there who were in this group of people that I recited Surah Tutariq to who were from Quraysh, who were originally from Mecca. And so they saw that the rest of these people of Ta'if, these Thaqifi people, who were listening to me recite surah al started to become very affected by it. So they interjected, they interrupted, and they said, نَحْنُ They said, whoa, easy, easy there. Slow down, slow down. Don't get too impressed. This guy, and what he's reading and everything, we know him very well. He's one of us, okay? He's from Makkah, we know him very well. نَحْنُ Alamu bi And we know him a lot better than what you do. All right, We know a lot more than you do. We know him a lot better than you know him. لَوْ كُنَّا نَعْلِمُ مَا حَقًا لتبعنه. And let me tell you this, if what he was saying is the truth, if this what he's reciting was actually the truth and it was real, لتبعنه. We would have followed him a long time ago, okay? We've been hearing this for 10 years. So slow down, calm down, don't get too impressed, don't go too quickly, don't, don't get emotional. Alright, you, you go away from here. Whatever you're reading, you're reciting, you go away from here. And he said they just interrupted us and then they sent me on my way. But he says later on when I accepted Islam, I used to read Surah Tariq and I would remember that day. And so one of the lessons that we learned from this is that the Prophet of Allah, you know, we talked about in last week's session the dua the Prophet made at the conclusion. And how he sought, you know, comfort. He sought, you know, solace with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after such a traumatic effect. He turned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, and, and made dua to Allah and he was able to find comfort in his relationship with Allah by talking to Allah. But we even see that even during the actual trial and tribulation itself, while he was struggling and being pelted with stones and rocks, and dealing with such a difficult moment, but even through that adversity, how did the Prophet ﷺ make it through there? By reading the Book of Allah, by reciting the Qur'an, by saying the words of Allah. It teaches us, see this is the thing, this is exactly what why I feel this is so important and so necessary. And forget about what I think. This is why, for fourteen hundred years, our scholars, you know, the Sahaba radiAllahu Anhu knew the Quran, knew the Prophet sallallahu and knew Islam a lot better than we ever will. And that's something the Ummah agrees upon, by the way. Al-Sahaba kulluhum Adul. That's a consensus of the scholarship of our. There's an Ijma. On the fact that the generation of Sahaba is superior to all the other generations that will ever come. There's a consensus on that fact. And then, so what, what we need to do is, we need to then pay attention to that generation, what they understood and what they said. And what did they tell us? What are they emphasizing to us? And when we look back and we listen to the Sahaba, we read what they said, we study their lives, one of the things we find is that they had a great emphasis on studying the seerah, the life of the Prophet ﷺ. And this is the reason for it. That's why Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas is saying, we taught our children the seerah like we would teach them a surah from the Qur'an. This is why the scholars of the second and third century of Islam, the first three generations of Islam, when people would come to them wanting to learn hadith, they would first make sure that they knew the seerah. The actual biography. That if somebody wanted to come memorize hundreds and hundreds and thousands of a hadith, and quote and read and narrate a hadith, they said, whoa, can you tell me about the life of the Prophet ﷺ, the seerah. Because if you can't, you don't even know how to understand what the Prophet ﷺ said. You don't have the context. Where will you place this? And similarly, the context, the background of the Qur'an, is the life of the Prophet ﷺ. We know Surah Tariq is a very well-known, powerful, beautiful surah. But see, when we read the life and the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, we understand the practical role of the Book of Allah in our daily lives. That the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala isn't just something that sounds nice, isn't just something that's an intellectual exercise. It is a means of connecting with Allah. It is a means of turning to Allah. It is a means of, you know, strength. And, 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 steadfastness through the most difficult of circumstances and trials and situations. The Prophet of Allah is reading Surah Al-Tariq, pondering its message, re- connecting to Allah, conversing with Allah through this very powerful Surah of the Quran. And that's how he's able to, you know, if you think about it, even from a, of course, we know the help of Allah is with, with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We know, we've talked, we've studied about the miraculous events in the life of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He, he, is, uh, you know, he, he is the embodiment of many miracles of Allah and much you know, departing from the norms and what is natural to human beings. But at the same time, there has to be a means for a human being, for a man, to be able to walk for three miles while constantly non-stop getting pelted and stoned. I mean, there's got to be something that gets him through that. There's got to be some way that he's able to separate his mind, kind of step away from that, and focus his mind onto something else that 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 you know motivates him, that inspires him, and that was the book of Allah, that was the Quran. So this is part of that narration. Now we talked about that when the Prophet of Allah, I'll, I'll read the narration. He says, "فَلَمَّ أَسْتَفِقَ." Illa wa alib. He goes, I did not find any type of rest or comfort. I was not able to recover. Falam astafiq. Illa wa ana They didn't leave me alone basically. I was not able to finally release myself from this torture until I reached a point of qadmutha Alib, which we talked about last week. And then it says something very interesting though. He says, فَرَفَعْتُ, فرفعت رأسي. He says, I raised my head up. فَإِذَا أَنَا قَدَ أضلتني. I raised my head up, and I was looking at, I looked at a cloud, I saw a cloud, not just looked at it, he says, فَإِذَا أَنَا بصحابة. He goes, I was covered by a cloud. I was being covered by a cloud. I was being shielded by a cloud. That the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was with me. This was a test and a trial that was happening. That was necessary for the for the you know the, the, the guidance of mankind. This is something that we read today, that we learn today. We learned something very valuable. And by the way, this is something very profound. You know. This experience of the Prophet ﷺ, and we're going to talk about a very profound, you know, occurrence from this entire experience. This experience of the Prophet ﷺ teaches us something so valuable: the, the, the journey to Taif. Just that du'a that we heard of the Prophet ﷺ that we studied last week, Allahumma ilayka ashku du'a fakwati. That du'a that we talked about. How much do we learn from that? We talked for we talked about it for an hour last week. How how much? How many lessons are there? in that experience of the Prophet ﷺ. Look, we know that it's an established fact that Muhammadur Rasulullah ﷺ is the most beloved of Allah's creation to Allah. He is the greatest human being to ever walk the face of this earth. He is Habibu Rabbil Alameen. He is the beloved of Allah. But in spite of all of that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed the Prophet ﷺ to go through such a traumatic experience, to be pelted, with rocks for three miles to bleed from his body, for his feet to become torn and bloodied. So much bleeding that it soaked into his sandals and they became red with blood. They became dried and crusted to his feet. Allah allowed the Prophet wasallam to go through all of that. That was not in vain. It's not like the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had left the Prophet during that time. Of course not. That's preposterous. Well, ayadu billa, may Allah protect us from such blasphemy, but it's not like you know the Prophet during that time period had fallen out of favor with Allah, of course not. He was still as beloved to Allah while he was being stoned, while he was being hit with rocks and bleeding from his feet as he was when he was standing at the haram praying before Allah. He was just as beloved to Allah at that time. The mercy of Allah was with him and the help of Allah was with him just as much when he was being hit with rocks by the people of Ta'if as he was when he was standing at the haram at the Kaaba proclaiming Tawheed on the day of Fathah Or when he was giving khutbah on the day of Arafah at the time of Hajjatul Wida. He was just as beloved to Allah. But what's the profound wisdom in the Prophet ﷺ than being you know, allowed, it being tolerated, that he is going through such difficulty. This is the price that was paid by Muhammad Rasulullah wasallam for the guidance of mankind. This is the price that was being paid. We have to understand the significance of that. We learned a lesson about the price of guidance from this. You know, when we talk about giving da'wah, we have to understand that there is a price that has to be paid. And that's not to discourage anyone from giving da'wah. But that's to remind me, to remind all of us. We all want to share the message of Islam, but we have to be willing to sacrifice a little. And you know, the mercy of Allah is such, and the dua of the Prophet wasallam on our behalf, in our favor, is such that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not require us to sacrifice as much as the Prophet wasallam did. But we got to be willing to sacrifice just a little bit. Secondly, we also understand that this is the, we need to be appreciative. This is the sacrifice given by Muhammad Rasulullah for us. This is what he did for us. And see, if we don't read this, we don't learn this, we don't study this, we don't pass this on to our future generations, we don't tell the world about this, we will never value what we have. And we will never truly appreciate who Muhammad… This is why I, I always mention this fact. That when people struggle to understand the position of the Prophet in the religion of Islam, his authority in our deen, when people struggle with this fact, the, the solution to that problem is not an academic discussion or an intellectual conversation about the authority, the authority or the authenticity of the sunnah. That won't completely solve the problem. That's a part of the solution. But a larger part of the solution is for people to read the seerah. So, they, so that we as Muslims, as believers, we understand how indebted we are to Muhammad ﷺ. What he did for us, what he laid on the line for us, what he sacrificed for us. That when we say he bled for us, that's not a metaphor, that's not an expression, that's not, you know, that, that is the truth. Literally he did bleed for us. And we got to understand that, we got to learn to respect that, and appreciate that, and internalize that, and then share that with the rest of humanity. So this is the sacrifice of the Prophet wasallam. So what I was saying was that the Prophet wasallam says, فَرَفَعْتُ He said that, I raised my head and there was a cloud shielding me, shadowing me. There was a cloud on top of me. The mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not leave, did not depart from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa But the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa is being reminded in that moment by looking up and seeing a cloud. He believed, he knew that the mercy of Allah is with him. But he is being reminded physically when he looks up and he sees a cloud over his head, that is a reminder to him, مَا Your Lord has not forsaken you. That cloud that was there when you were a little boy playing outside the home of Halima, shielding you from the sun, that cloud that, has, that was over your head in the days of Mecca when you were walking around and preaching and teaching to the people, that cloud is still over your head. Even while these, these unfortunate people, in their unfortunate decision, they are throwing rocks and stones at you, that cloud is still over your head. Allah has not left you, not forsaken you. But this is something that needs to happen for the guidance of mankind. So that 1400 years later, halfway across the world, in Irving, Texas, a few people could sit in the house of Allah, in a masjid, and could talk about your sacrifices and what you did for them. And they could mention you and remember you, and thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for giving them such such a beautiful messenger. Such a generous and kind messenger. And they could send peace and blessings upon you. Allahumma sallallahu alayhi wa فَإِذَا بصحابة, He said that, that that cloud was there over my head. قَدْ أضلتني, It was providing a shade over me. And he says, فضنرت, فنظرت فيها, فنظرت And he says, then I looked closer at that cloud and I saw Jibreel salam, the angel Jibreel, the friend of the Prophet He said, I saw him inside of that cloud. And that's when the rest of the conversation takes place, that when the people finally dispersed, then Jibreel from that cloud, he called out to me and he said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ Allah has heard what, what, what your people have said to you, and how they responded to you. Wa and he has sent the angel in charge of the mountains to you. And then the story continues as, as we talked about that the Prophet of Allah ﷺ. May of course we talked about the du'a of the Prophet last time, that Allahumma ilayka ashku du'a fakubati. And then we also talked about that when Jibril sallam in this Malakul jibal, the angel appointed to the mountains, when they came to the Prophet and said, "Command me, let me know, give me the word, give me the signal. Just nod your head, and I will cause these mountains." أخشبين, these mountains on either side of the city of Ta'if, in the valley of Ta'if, I will cause these mountains to collide and to crush and destroy these people. And the Prophet of Allah wasallam said, la Yushriku bihi Rather, I hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring from these people, from their progeny, from their generations to come, Allah will bring forth a people Someone, anyone, man, whosoever it may be, ya who will worship Allah will enslave themselves to Allah. la sharika Allah alone, la not, not associate any partners to Allah in the least bit. So this was the appeal of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So this is what we talked about. So, but I wanted to add a couple of these things as you know, uh, supplemental, like these these lessons that we learned from this incident. Number one, the Prophet ﷺ made it through that test and that trial by reading the Book of Allah, reciting the Quran, and connecting to Allah, finding peace and comfort and solace. Ma anzalna al-Qur'an The Quran wasn't sent down to ruin your life; rather, the Quran is a source of peace and tranquility. It is a mercy from Allah. It is encouragement, motivation. It is a nur from Allah. And so it was being given to the Prophet ﷺ to comfort him through this difficulty. And that's what the Prophet ﷺ did. Secondly, we even see that the mercy of Allah was with the Prophet ﷺ through this test and trial. But still sacrifice was being made and that was for you and me, that was for us. Now what I wanted to talk about was today specifically, um, and we'll probably actually even continue um, you know, the conversation about ta'if in the next session, which we'll then talk about what the Prophet of Allah sallallahu um, had to deal with to re-enter into Makkah. There's even an event, a profound event, about him re-entering Makkah. But we'll talk about that there. What I'd like to talk about today is so when they finally dispersed, we talked about Qadnul Thaalib or Qadnul Manazil. As some of the books of Sirah, the books of history, also refer to that place, about three miles outside of Taif. That that's finally where the crowd dispersed and the Prophet they left him. They finally let him just. You know, they relieved him. And so the Prophet of Allah was there and he literally took refuge, sat down under the shade of a tree. And what was very nearby, what was right there and close enough to see from there with an eye shot from there was a garden that was owned by the sons of Rabi'ah who were Utbah and Sheba, Ibn Rabi'ah. Ibn Rabi'ah. The the Utbah and Sheba, who were the sons of Rabi'ah, who the all these the father and the two sons were very severe and staunch. Very severe, staunch, stubborn adversaries and opponents to the message of the Prophet back in Mecca. They were part of the leadership of Mecca, they were part of the upper crust of Mecca, hind was from this same family, the wife of Abu Sufyan. So you can see, it was basically this whole family. It was the father, Rabi'ah, Hind was from this family, Utbah, Sheba, the sons, even the uh, you know, Hind's husband, Jazakumullah Khairan. Uh, Abu Sufyan was a part of the same gang. They were all very opposed to the Prophet ﷺ. And they had basically, you know, really dug in their heels and they had stood their ground in opposing the message of the Prophet ﷺ, Unfortunately. They, this, they owned a garden there that was like a vacation home for them, like I talked about because Ta'if was such, a, you know, um, was such a desirable location, that this was like a vacation home for them, they owned a garden there. They were there in their vacation home at the garden at the time of this incident. And they heard all the commotion, all the noise, they had heard that the Prophet ﷺ had been in Ta'if for about a week or so. So they, when they heard all the commotion, all the noise, they came out and started to watch. And they saw the Prophet getting pelted with stones. And they saw him, blood covered and soaked in blood. And they saw everyone leave, and they saw him stumble over and fall down and sit down under the shade of this tree, almost passing out, almost falling unconscious. Zayd bin Haritha trying to hold the Prophet up. They saw the Prophet fainting due to the loss of blood and everything that he had gone through. And when they saw, the narration actually says, Ibn Ishaq relates this incident. لقيا, when they saw the Prophet and what he had gone through, even they felt compassion. Even they felt compassion. Even they felt bad for the Prophet. They felt mercy towards the Prophet. Their sense of brotherhood for the Prophet, they were from Quraysh. They knew this is the grandson of Abdul Muttalib, the nephew of Abu Talib. They knew him. They grew up together. Their families knew each other. They felt a sense of brotherhood towards the Prophet Even they did. They had been opposing him, fighting him, ridiculing him, slandering him, mocking him. For ten years. Torturing anyone who would dare to follow him. For ten years. And even they felt bad. So when they saw this, فَدَعَوَا غُلَامًا لَهُمَا نَصَرَنِيًا يُقَالُ Lahu Addas. They called one of their servants, one of their slaves, who happened to be a Christian. His name was Addas. And they called him and they said, فَقَالَ لَهُ خُذْ قِدْفًا مِنْ هَذَا الْعِنَبِ فَضَعْهُ فِي هَذَا الطِبْقِ ثُمَّ اذْهَبْ بِهِ إِلَى ذَلَكَ الرَّجُلِ فَقُلْ لَهُ يَأْكُلْ مِنْهُ They said, take this bunch of grapes. And you have to understand what that means. Grapes were considered a delicacy and something very, you know, uh, something that was very expensive uh, for the Arabs. It was not common food for the Arabs, but it was considered a delicacy, something that was very expensive. And so they said, but look at his condition. So they said, take the, this bunch of grapes, put it in this basket and they gave him some other supplies like cloth and clean water and fresh water. They said, go kind of look after him. Take this to him. And, and, and feed him these grapes. Tell him to eat some of these grapes. Drink some water and then kind of wipe him up and kind of clean him up. Tend to his wounds. Look at him. Go take care of him. They sent their, their, their slave to go look after the Prophet فَفَعَلَ عداسة. عداسة did as he was told So he went, he went to the Prophet وسلم, put down the water, put down this, you know, this bunch of dates. And then he said to the Prophet وسلم, he said, please eat. فَلَمَّا وَضَعَ this is When the narration actually mentions that the Prophet وسلم, when he saw him, he asked him, what's your name? Asked yes, him, what's your name? We learn etiquette from the Messenger of Allah the, I mean, look at what this man's been through. He's been throwing... People have been throwing rocks at him for three miles. He's been bleeding. And yet when a man approaches him, even a slave or a servant, doesn't matter. When he approaches him and comes in front of him, the Prophet wasallam has the Arab, the etiquette. ala That's why Allah said that to the Prophet Like I mentioned here in the Sira class, Quite a few sessions back, that in the opinion of many of the scholars of Ulumul Qur'an, that this is the second revelation, Surah Qalam, Surah number 68. This is why Allah told him this at the beginning of his message, so that no matter what came his way, no matter what transpired or happened afterwards, that the Prophet of Allah ﷺ would never forget that the akhlaq are paramount, that the akhlaq cannot be sacrificed, that that's something that can't be compromised. And so the Prophet has this character. This is a human being. So the Prophet says, What is your name? And so the man introduced himself. He said, My name is Addas. Utbah and Sheba. they are people of, they are part of, they're from your people. They're one of your people, right? They're from amongst your tribe. You know them probably. They, I, I I'm, all, basically, they're my masters. I'm a slave, I'm a servant, they're my masters, and they have sent me to you with, these, with this food, this water, these supplies, to basically tend to you, to provide this to you. And then so he puts it down in front of the Prophet and he says, Kul, please eat. الله الله when the Prophet of Allah put his hand into the bucket that had the bunch of, the, uh, of grapes, qala bismillah. The Prophet of Allah said, Bismillah. Akala, then he ate. The narration says, adas wajhihi. This is a very interesting expression from the Arabic language. It says that Addas looked in the face of the Prophet. That doesn't mean he just looked at him. That means when you stare at somebody. Like, you know, your jaw is open. Like maybe you see somebody after a very long time. And you look at them, jaw open, and you're staring at their face uncomfortably, to the point where they notice you kind of staring at them, and they look back at you, and it's like, "Oh, Salam, I'm sorry. Just, I thought I recognized you." Sufnadhara adas fi wajhihi. Adas looked at the Prophet very intently. Thumma He was shocked, and when the Prophet looked back at him, he says, Wallahi, Adas." Says wallahi, I swear to God. Inna ahlu al bilad. He goes, what you just said, your people don't say that. Your people don't say what you just said. Bismillah, I know what it means. You said that before you ate. Your people don't say that. They don't talk like this. اللَّهِ الله وسلم, the Prophet said to him, Wa أَهْلِ ahli بِلَادٍ biladin يَا addas. Well, okay. If the people of this land, my people, these people, they don't say that, where are you from? What land are you from? What people are you from? That you do know this. So Adas responds to the Prophet wasallam, And the Prophet says, where are you from? What people do you belong to? دين... Excuse me, وَمَا Dinuka. And what religion do you follow? If you know what I said, you recognize what I said. Where are you from? Who do you belong to? And what religion do you follow then? He said, I'm Christian. And I am from the people of Ninawa. I'm from Nineveh, from Ninawa. Now, why was that so interesting? The Prophet of Allah wasallam, says to him, من قرية Salih." He goes, oh that's very interesting, you're from Nineveh. He goes, you're from the same town as the very great, pious, righteous man, Yunus ibn Matta. Yunus, the son of Matta, alaihi He's talking about Yunus. He's talking about the Nabi, Yunus salam. He says, you're from من قرية Salih.'" The Prophet ﷺ says, from the town of the very great man, Yunus ibn Mattah, from the town of Yunus fakalalahu salam. Now, Adas is just beside himself. Addas is shocked. He said, Yunus ibn Matta. He goes, How do you know? He didn't, he's so shocked, he doesn't even say, How do you know who Yunus is? He says, How do you know what Yunus is? How do you even know the word Yunus? How do you even know the name Yunus? Nobody here knows this stuff. These are all idol worshipping people. What do you know about Yunus? Ma'Yudriqa. The Prophet of Allah says to him, Rasulullah, of course I know Yunus. Why? He's my brother. Yeah, he's my brother. We're like this. We're like this. And then the Prophet of Allah explains to him, he says, كَانَ نَبِيًّا He was a prophet, wasn't he? Wa ana I am also a prophet. He was sent by Allah, wasn't he? I have also been sent by Allah. So of course I know him, he's my brother. We belong to the same fraternity. We're both messengers, prophets of Allah ala sallallahu. The narration says Adas was sitting in front of the Prophet وسلم, having this conversation, shocked, shell shocked, having this conversation with the Prophet. As soon as the Prophet said, نَبِيًا نَبِيًا. he was a Prophet and I'm a Prophet. The narration says, adas he jumped on the Prophet. He sprung forward, jumped towards the Prophet. And he started to kiss the head of the Prophet He grabbed the hands of the Prophet ﷺ started to kiss the hands of the Prophet He picked up the feet of the Prophet وسلم, the same bloody, wounded, torn feet, and he kissed the feet of the Prophet Because he recognized who he was dealing with. He recognized the opportunity that was presented to him, the blood and the wounds didn't bother him. He said, I sit in front of a messenger of Allah. I grew up learning about these great men. We grew up knowing that we were from the town of a great man. And we prided ourselves on this fact. And I get to sit in, one, in front of one of them, meet one of them, he kissed the head of the Prophet he kissed his hands, he kissed his feet. And the narration says, Yaqulu إِبْنَ ahaduhuma And of course this, this whole dialogue and you know Addas kissing the head and the hands and the feet of the Prophet is basically an expression of the fact he accepted Islam. He accepted Islam. Right then and there. Subhanallah, you know two things I wanted to mention before I even go here and mention what happens with Adas afterwards um, because that will kind of detract from the moment right now that, that you know this experience this moment this glimpse into the life of the Prophet wasallam. there's two things I want all of us to consider number one is the resilience the passion of the Prophet wasallam for sharing the message of Allah with all of mankind Dawah the passion that the Prophet had for his mission, how committed he was. He's bloody, bruised, beaten, wounded, sitting there. How he's even still sitting up, how he's even still upright is a miracle. The fact that he hasn't fainted and passed down is a miracle. But even in this situation, he has an entire conversation with this man, just because maybe this is what it will take to bring this man back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The guidance of one individual is so valuable to the Prophet You know that hadith where the Prophet ﷺ tells Ali ibn Abi Talib r.a, لَأَنْ يَهْدِيَ اللَّهُ بِكَ رَجُلًا يَا عَلِي لَأَنْ يَهْدِيَ اللَّهُ بِكَ رَجُلًا Oh Ali, that even if one man comes closer to Allah, is guided to Allah, La يَهْدِيَ اللَّهُ بِكَ رَجُلًا That if Allah guides through you, even one man, one individual, this is better for you than red sheep camels. This is better for you than the whole than the whole world and whatever it contains. Everything the sun rises upon, the whole world. The Prophet didn't just say that like I'm saying that. See, when I say that, I'm just saying that. The Prophet of Allah lived that. The Prophet Sallallahu lived it. He was bleeding, wounded beaten, bruised, tired, exhausted, fatigued. Look at his condition. But if the opportunity presented itself to be the means of guidance for one man, literally one man, a slave, somebody that could have been overlooked very easily, he could have come into the process and couldn't even acknowledge his existence, not ask his name. Nobody would have held it against him. Even if you were there, you wouldn't hold it against him. He's bleeding. He's in terrible shape. No, no, no. But the Prophet of Allah seized that opportunity and sat there and had a conversation with this man. If that's what it would take to bring one person back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the mission. That's the message of the Prophet That's da'wah. If we claim to be da'is in any capacity, We have to follow in the footsteps of the Prophet ﷺ. It has to be done according to the method of the Prophet ﷺ. We are representatives of the Prophet ﷺ. We are his deputies. And it has to be done like it was done by him. That type of concern for humanity has to be there. That type of passion has to be there. Commitment. And we see what the Prophet ﷺ did here. That's number one. The second thing is this. Everything that happens in the life of the Prophet ﷺ especially is documented in this fashion, in this manner, is very, very important and relevant and is a lesson and a reminder for us. The Prophet of Allah ﷺ, when he's being stoned, he's reciting the book of Allah. When When they are done throwing rocks at him, the Prophet of Allah ﷺ makes dua to Allah. And then look how the Prophet ﷺ is able to conduct himself afterwards. All of this is connected, nothing is by coincidence. Nothing is by coincidence. Maintaining that connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows someone to maintain such clarity of mind and thought and such commitment and, 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 and motivation that somebody is able to stay on track and stay committed to their mission no matter what the circumstances may be. All of this is interconnected. If we mean to be a true means, if we want to be, we desire to be, we ask Allah to make us a means of khair, a means of guidance for for humanity, for people, for mankind, we must maintain our own personal connection with Allah. It is very important. This is something I've talked about here before. But one of the primary lessons from the life of the Prophet ﷺ, from the seerah, is even how to preach and teach the message of Islam to humanity. No matter what level of the, 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 the effort we're at, no matter what end of the spectrum in terms of the work that has to be done, it doesn't matter what role we fill. It could be from advertising, from marketing, to organizing, to logistics, to setting up and cleaning up, to actually, you know, doing the speaking and the delivering of the message, it doesn't matter who we are, what capacity we're working in, or what role or slot we fill. It does not matter. We have to remember one thing, that our da'wah and our work will only be as fruitful and as beneficial as our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is strong. Because if we fail and falter, we have to understand one thing very clearly. And this is something that 1400 years of scholars, da'is and preachers and workers, people who are responsible, or rather whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made the means of the message reaching us here today. The Muslim ummah, where it stands today, is through the the blood and the sweat and the efforts and sacrifices of those 1400 years worth of people, the ummah. There's one lesson they've always taught us, one thing they've been very, very, you know, one thing they've been put a lot of emphasis on. And that is the simple fact that we have to understand that the work that we do itself is very noble, very admirable, and a source of reward, great reward to Allah. But it does not substitute our own personal relationship with Allah. So I, I, if I'm giving lectures, that's great, fantastic, Alhamdulillah, very good use of time. And hopefully a means of benefit for people. But this will not substitute my own personal relationship with Allah. It will not. If I don't make time for salah and dhikr and Tilawa and du'a and Qur'an, I, I, I will fail. I will fail. If I'm organizing it on this committee and that subcommittee and this organization, and this association, I'm doing all of this spread out completely thin to the point and to the extent that I can't make time to pray and make dua and do dhikr and do tilawa and spend time one-on-one personal quality time with Allah, I will not be beneficial or successful in my endeavors and in my efforts. At the very least, you know what happens? You know what happens at the very least? That old parable, there's an example of this that given by the Prophet of Allah in a hadith, in a narration where the Prophet says, the example of such a person is like a candle that burns. It gives off light, doesn't it? It gives off light, when you light a candle in a dark room, it illuminates the room, doesn't it? Absolutely it does. But what happens as it's giving off light? What is happening to the candle? It's burning and withering away. Eventually what will happen? It will become a puddle of wax and it will be done. Not only is the candle gone, non-existent, finished, khalas, done, but it's not even giving off light anymore. There's nothing left of it. It will become a distant memory at best. And that too will be forgotten when the next candle is brought along. There's a parable, an example, that's given in Urdu, in Farsi, in Persian, which talks about, Charakta that you have a lantern or you have a lamp, and it's giving light to the entire room, but what is there immediately around the candle? There's a circle of darkness. So the candle itself sits in the circle of darkness. While well, everything else is illuminated. There's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that talks about, إِنَّ اللَّهِ قد يؤيد هذا الدِّينَ بِرَجُلٍ فَاجِرٍ Sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will strengthen the deen, the religion, the Islam, through the efforts of someone who he himself, or she herself, lives in complete open disobedience to Allah. This person themselves lives a life of rebelliousness towards Allah, but can be the means of doing some work. Meaning what they themselves, that's at the very least. Somebody else might take some benefit, but they themselves have zero benefit from it. And more often than not, not only are they not beneficial to themselves, but they will not be able to benefit anyone else. So we see that the means of the Prophet the spiritual food of the Prophet for him to be able to maintain the focus, make dua for the people who throw rocks at him, not curse those people, for him to be sitting there bleeding, bloodied, wounded, just completely you know, just physically devastated. And for, for it to be very justifiable, reasonable, understandable, for him to be able to not have to worry, just not be able to worry about anything or anyone, but for the Prophet to still have the wherewithal, the presence of mind and spirituality, the presence of heart, to be able to see a man, and talk to him and sit him down and ask him name, where are you from, what's going on with you, and be able to talk to him, And bring this man to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Give this man shahada. facilitate the iman, the acceptance of Islam, of this individual, that again came through, was fed, was nourished, was fueled by his relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Through that relationship with Allah. It's a very powerful lesson that we learn. Finally, the narration goes on, and this is the very unfortunate part of it, the two sons of Rabia, Ujba and Shaybah, are watching all of this. And then they see he goes out there and they, they sent him out there. He goes out there, takes the food and the bucket and all that stuff. And he, they see him sit down and start talking to the Prophet for a few minutes. And next thing you know, he jumps forward and he's kissing his head and kissing his hands and kissing his feet. And they're all like, What happened there? Nobody saw that coming. So one of them says to the other, Amma hulamuka faqad afsadahu alaik. He goes, Your slave? Muhammad just ruined your slave. He just messed up somebody else. He just messed up somebody else. When Addas finally comes back to them with bucket in hand and supplies in hand, they both say to him, Waylaka ya Addas. He said, What's wrong with you? Stupid man, what's wrong with you? Silly man. They say to him, مَا تُقَبِّلُ رَأْسَ هَذَا رَجُلْ وَيَدَيْهِ وَقَدَمَيْهِ Why were you kissing that man's head and his hands and his feet? We sent you out there to feed him, just kind of you know, give him some water, give him some food, make sure he's okay. You, you're sitting there kissing his head, kissing his hands, kissing his feet, talking to him forever. What was going on with you? He said, Yes, He is a slave, right? Poor man, he's a slave. He says, oh master, there is not a single thing in this entire earth that is better than that man right there. He's the greatest thing on God's green earth. There's not a single thing in this earth that is more valuable, more precious than that man right there. خَيْرٌ مِنْ هذا. لقد أخبرني بأمر ما يعلمه إلا نبي he told me something that only a prophet would know. He told me something that only a prophet would know. قَالَ لَهُ وَيْحَكْ <عدّاس> They said, get out of here. They cursed him basically. Get, may you be destroyed like they cursed him. Get out of here. Like cursing someone out. Get out of here, Ya <عدّاس> لَا يَصْرِفَنَّكَ and don't let him make you change your religion. Fa in ka Your religion's better than his religion. Which is really funny coming from them. Who worship idols. He's a Christian. Previously they probably had been mocking his religion and always been taunting him and mocking him because of his religion. And now all of a sudden what are they saying? Oh hey, your religion's a lot better than his religion. Why are you gonna listen to him? You shouldn't listen to him. Stick to your guns. And so this was kind of the exchange and conversation they had with the Adas afterwards. And this was the circumstance of the Prophet ﷺ immediately after this brutality shown towards the Prophet ﷺ displayed towards the Prophet ﷺ on that day when he was leading, leaving the city of Taif. We're gonna go ahead and stop here, inshallah and we'll pick up from here. The Prophet ﷺ basically stayed there for uh, for a while and, and recovered there. And then the Prophet of Allah ﷺ made his way back to home back to the city of Mecca. And we'll talk about what happens on the way back home. There's an amazing, miraculous incident that happens with the Prophet on the way back to Mecca. And then when he does arrive right outside of Mecca, even then there are some political circumstances that take place. We'll talk about all of that in the coming sessions. I wanted to, um, just, uh, I wanted to announce that inshallah, next week we won't be having uh, the Sira class. Uh, I'll actually be traveling Uh, With my family inshallah So um, we won't be having seerah class for next week So I wanted to let everyone know Especially the brothers and sisters Who inshallah come here every single week (laughs) Jazakumullah khairan Barakallahu feekum May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you And may Allah allow us and grant us all The proper understanding of the life of the Prophet May Allah make this a source of means and benefit from us Um, So I apologize for not being able to make it next week But uh, we won't be having the seerah class next week And similarly the brothers and sisters Who are watching online um we won't be having sira class next week but for those who maybe would like a review of seerah uh, if it's become kind of like a part of your weekly routine to to get some you know study of the life of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam then what i would der- definitely direct you towards Um, is the podcast what we do is we record all the sessions and then we put them online uh, for free open the audio recordings video would be a lit a little bit more cumbersome so to make it very easy for us to be able to edit and put online and then secondly make it easy for people to be able to listen you know very comfortably not have to sit down in front of a computer and listen but they can you know sit down wherever they're at play it from their phone maybe in their car um, you know so we put them online you can Access them at on the Qalam Institute website, Qalaminstitute.org. Those who are watching online, of course you're watching on the website. But for the and sisters here, it's Qalam, Q-A-L-A-M, Qalaminstitute.org slash podcast. Or even if you just go to the website, you'll see podcast there. And you can access all the previous recordings there. And as we're on the topic as well. Please share these with people as well. We basically record them, put them online for free, um, completely open on multiple platforms. Uh, If you subscribe, it gets emailed to your inbox. We post them on Facebook, on Twitter, they're in iTunes, even if you have an Android device, may Allah forgive you. um, There's even an app in the Android uh, app store, Uh, I think it's called Google Play or some nonsense like that. So there's an app in there as well if you search Qalam Institute Podcast. Whoever it is, I don't know, maybe they're watching or listening, somebody actually made that app. Um, and then just told us you know, that they had made this app So may Allah reward that person You can download that app to your Android phone And all the podcasts It updates itself And all the podcasts are downloaded into the app And you can listen directly from there So inshallah you can uh, Next week when we won't have seerah class You can maybe go back and review some Sirah. And like I was saying inshallah Definitely share this with family and friends With as many people as you'd like um, And turn this you know, yourself a one recommendation I make to the more dedicated inshallah, who really want to internalize the life, the seerah of the Prophet wasallam, when you sit down and you listen to the seerah, um, this or anything for that matter, this is just one means to an end. But just when you sit down and read a seerah book, when you listen to the seerah podcast or lectures, take a little notebook maybe, you know, write down, jot down a few notes, kind of listen to it, internalize it, make a few notes, a few basic points for yourself, and then use that to even you know, teach Sira to your children. Discuss Sira with your siblings. Start a little seerah study group with your friends, with your family. We have, mashallah, many uh, MSA brothers and sisters who have started these little MSA seerah study circles at their universities and things like that. So, you know, take some initiative and spread the knowledge of the life of the Prophet ﷺ as much as you can. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi Subhanakallah wa bihamdik Nashadu wa la ilaha <in Hebrew> illa anta nasagfiruka wa natubu ilayk